Good morning. My name is Chris McGuffey, and I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, and I'm not the one who was supposed to be standing here this morning, uh, according to uh, the newsletter that you get, but life happens, right? Um, last night at uh, 8.33 p.m., I was trying to quickly finish the yard work uh, at my house as the sun was going down and I had my earphones on uh, and got a text. And here is what it said. This is a random question. Uh, what is the protocol for when someone who is scheduled to preach gets sick? And that was Moses. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, there's a few options. And I am the protocol. So that's what we get uh, kind of stuck with this morning. Uh, but it does remind us, and it was actually already in the notes of the sermon I'm preaching. It's a good reminder to always be ready. We never know when God's call or Moses' call uh, is going to come, and we need to step forward and to be ready to share what God is doing in our lives. Moses was uh, preaching from Proverbs and he was preaching uh, on anger. Uh, so I can only assume that in God's sovereignty, we're a pretty happy group. Um, and so we're just moving on to a different topic. Uh, as some of you know, I also help uh, out with a partnership Chinese church uh, that we have at Grace Bible Church and uh, help to do a little bit of pulpit supply in, uh, in that church. I go over about once a month or once every other month uh, and help uh, to give a little bit of relief to the pastor there. Uh, and so uh, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians and because I'm only there uh, occasionally, it's taken us more than two years to get to the point where we're about to finish the book. Uh, now somewhere, I can't remember exactly what date in January, you actually heard, if you were here, me give uh, a sermon from Ephesians 1, which was the beginning of that sermon series, and now here we are uh, a number of months later, and we're already <laughs> jumping to chapter 6. My application will be to go and read the whole book, because there's lots of good stuff in between. As a matter of fact, as, uh, as pastors, as we do the hard work of uh, preparing our sermons, we do our work, we try to find out uh, from uh, reading and experience and through the Lord and the Holy Spirit, uh, what is it that God is trying to, uh, to share with us that we can share with others? And after we do our hard work, we uh, oftentimes turn to some commentaries to uh, not, you know, fact check the things of our thoughts, maybe that's uh, helpful, but also just to check the structure, uh, to check the flow of argument to see if there's another way to communicate it. And, uh, and I love this one, uh, this one uh, commentary that is on Ephesians, and I think that it helps to illustrate the richness uh, of the book itself. Because when you open your Bible to Paul's short letter to the Ephesian church, uh, in my Bible it takes up no more than three pages. But this commentary that uh, I like to refer to is 930 pages only on the book of Ephesians. And it's just amazing as an illustration for us to realize there is so much wisdom. There is so much worthwhile to dig into this small letter. 
And so that's why uh, I'm hoping that uh, as we end up today that, uh, that you will heed my application to go back and to dig a little deeper for all that's in between chapters one and chapter six. It teaches us that, uh, this book teaches us that God has given us uh, all, that, uh, all that we need to be reconciled to God. And it encourages us to walk closely with him. And uh, today we find out why. Today we see that while walking with Jesus puts us on a path to purpose and meaning, it also puts us uh, in opposition with our enemy. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six, starting uh, in verse 10, and we will walk through the passage phrase by phrase. And Nathan, I have no clicker. Fantastic. Uh, So turn with me there, Ephesians chapter six. He starts out by saying this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul starts out with this strong word, finally, and it's to show that this is the last section of this letter that he has written. And in doing so, he wants to present uh, all of what he's talked about and to show the importance uh, of all that has come before this verse, bearing, uh, the, the bearing on what he is about to say. So here it is, uh, we've been learning uh, uh, what we, all the things that we've been learning in the next slide uh, from Ephesians. We learned that we were chosen and that we're giving a calling. We've been saved from being slaves to sin. We've been made a part of the family of God. We've been included in the mystery of God's work among the Gentiles. And we've been given a purpose in life. We are to be a fragrant aroma of Christ to the world that's around us. He talks about how we're to submit to one another in love in the church as we submit to Christ. And we have been given the power to obey. Knowing who we are in Christ allows us the ability to know what we should do. And he's gonna go on in the next verse and talk about how we should be standing firm in the face of all that is going on around us. The verses that, we're, that follow put us into a metaphor of kind of going to war, either prepared or not. And while Paul spends most of his time teaching about what God uh, has done for us, he also includes this formula that's up on the slide to know how it is that we can mature as a believer in Jesus. He said the first part of it, and he spends a lot of chapters in the book uh, of Ephesians to to understand how do we know who we are? How do I know who I am and all that God has communicated to me about who I am in him? The second thing is that he wants us to understand all that he has provided on our behalf. And when we add those two things together, we get to a point of readiness to serve. First, we need to know who we are. Second, we need to know what God provides. And then we can be ready for service. I had a funny thought while I was preparing this and reading through this passage. Uh, It had to do with my parents and kind of uh, how I was sent out uh, from kind of their tutelage into uh, what we would call adulthood. Right, and then those, those, those moments where that passageway is really clear when you can see that 
Somehow they're trying to say goodbye and somehow I am growing up. Oftentimes that happens when we go off to college or maybe when we step into marriage and there were components of their speech uh, that sound like what Paul is trying to communicate to the Ephesians. Like Paul with his own disciples in Ephesus, which no doubt by now included Timothy as the pastor of that church. My parents were watching me step out into a dangerous world where they could no longer physically be with me, but they wanted me to somehow remember the 18 to 21 years of parenting that they had given me. They couldn't recite everything that they had taught me just in those moments, but they wanted me to remind me of two things. They, like Paul, they wanted me to know who I was, and they wanted me to remember who they raised me to be. Their hope is that I wouldn't forget the lessons that they had taught, and their hope even more so was that I wouldn't reject the lessons that they had taught, but rather remember and embrace all that they had given me. Paul is still locked up in prison in Rome at the time of writing this letter and he addresses those dear friends and he wants to remind them who they are in Christ because of all that he had done for them. And then he wanted to remind them that they needed to walk into their future as faithful believers. Ultimately, out of Paul's reach, out of Paul's protection and out of his ability to be with them to shepherd them. In some ways, I think when Paul says, finally, it's not just the summary of his letter, but it's also the summary of the influence in their lives. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. And this is the internal focus on why we should obey. This verb is kind of in a unique verb tense, and it can be taken a bit in the passive voice, which means that we are to be strengthened by God and yet is also coupled with the responsibility of taking on this strength or being uh, allowing this strength to be taken on. Paul is encouraging us to step into the strength which he has provided for us, to mature into the space that has been carved out for us. But this is not telling us merely to be strong in our own strength, We're not to bend our own gifts and graces towards our own selfish goals. And here's where we find a really important question about our faith that we need to find the answer to, to pause and to understand. And the question is this, how do I grow as a believer in Christ Jesus? Formerly, this question deals with what we call sanctification, which is either defined as God declaring something holy or the pursuit of that holiness by men and women. So how do we become more like Christ? This is really one of the most important questions of our faith because most of the things that we are called to do have the purpose of shaping us into the image of Jesus as we bring worship to God. Let me ask a few questions about becoming like Christ. Why do we pray? Because God has allowed this somehow in his sovereignty to shape his will, but it causes us to become more like Jesus. 
Why do we obey? Because it has an important impact on those that are around us, but it causes us to become more like Jesus. Why do we give? Because it furthers the mission of the church and it causes us to become more like Jesus. Giving is how we show that we are trusting in the Lord's provision. And it's an affirmation of that all that we have belongs to him and that we are just stewards. Plus, giving leads to gratitude. And gratitude is another form of worship that acknowledges that our very life is sustained by God. We as believers, when we're unwilling to give, become believers who are unwilling to say thanks. And why do we proclaim the gospel? Because it can be used by God to reconcile his children, and it causes us to become more like Jesus. And while we are to do all of these things, we don't do them in a sense to earn favor with God because that's already been given, but we do it to express our fervor toward God. And we can't even begin our own transformation without God's help and all that he provides. Think about what he has done for us as even discussed a little more in this book of Ephesians. Uh, he, he broke the chain of slavery to sin and he gives us the opportunity to grow. He lets us see Jesus who is the model of our faith and gives us that model of growth. He filled us with the Holy Spirit, giving us the empowerment to grow. He gave us the Bible, which gives us the instructions on how we can grow. And he instituted this church, this representation of this gathering of his people, giving us the environment where we can grow. Ultimately, our sanctification is caused by our interaction with God. It's in his grace that we are freely offered a pathway to become more like Jesus on this side of heaven. And God will change us completely when we stand before him in glory to finish the job. But we must continue to step into that process. We must do what Paul reminds us often of in this letter to the Ephesians, and that is to walk with Jesus. Can we pause just for a moment to reflect on this key component of our Christian life? Where would you say that your energy is spent these days? A lot of it can go to work, not just the getting your responsibilities done, but in a larger sense, even creating this idea of a career that is ever growing. And that's not necessarily bad, but has it pushed out the priority? of becoming more like Jesus. Maybe you're still in the process of getting your next degree or maybe your last degree and your life is marked mostly by research and writing. That isn't bad in of itself, but has it taken the time and become more important than becoming like Jesus? Maybe your time is spent in parent, parenting, shuttling kids from event to event, from opportunity to opportunity, and those things are fine. But have they taken all your time away from a focus on becoming like Jesus? Paul continues at the end of verse 10 saying, not only to be strong, but to be strong in the strength of his might. And this is the external focus of why we should obey. 
While we struggle enough with ourselves to keep our focus on Jesus, we need to also realize that there are external uh, forces that can cause us to stray from walking with God. We are not only to be strong, but to be strong for the purposes of God. Let me give you an example. In Jesus's day, the Pharisees were strong in their knowledge of scripture, but they weren't going and they weren't strong in a way that they could understand who Jesus was claiming to be in the fulfillment of those prophecies. They knew all of the prophecies, but they weren't willing to submit themselves to his authority. And they missed the opportunity to become his disciples. We need our areas of strength to be aligned with Jesus's calling for his people. And we need this strength to be ready to accomplish his will in, the light, in light of the opposition that exists in the world. And we're going to get to that topic a little more in just a minute. In Ephesians 6.11, uh, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 11, Paul makes the opportunity and the responsibility of a believer uh, to be a little more clear. He says, put on the whole armor of God, literally to clothe yourselves. There is a choice and there's a responsibility. I'll start with a little confession this morning. My wife, Amy, buys all of my clothes. I don't like shopping and I really don't like trying things on. So we have a bit of a deal. Whatever she buys, I wear. I trust her sense of fashion, which is kind of knowing the things that are out there that are available, and I also trust her selection for me to make me look passable, okay? Sometimes she makes specific requests for specific occasions, but I usually just choose from whatever is hanging in my closet because I know that she has filled it with good things. Sometimes I put on things that don't match one another and I have to go back and start over, okay? But here's the thing. With all that I find in my closet, Amy doesn't dress me. I have to do that myself. I have to choose to put on my pants and to put on my shirt before I go outside so that I can function in society and not embarrass my family. Amy has provided all that I need, but I must put it on myself. As believers, we step into all that God has provided, and this is how we mature. This is how we minister to others. Maturing doesn't happen passively, but it doesn't happen independently either. It happens within a relationship. It happens as we pursue him as he is pursuing us and providing for us all that we need. Without him, there is no closet to step into. But for some of us, some of us this morning, we have one kind of problem, and that's that we become impetuous in our growth. We make a little progress in our growth as a Christian, but all of a sudden decide that we want to charge hell with a squirt gun in our own strength and with our own agendas. We want to make a splash. We want to be known by others or greatly overestimate the impact for the kingdom that we can make by ourselves. 
This happens when our desires are not centered around bringing glory to our king, but rather impressing those around us. For others, we have a different problem. We are ruled by fear. We dare not step into the strength of the Lord because we don't want to get called into his service. We think if I don't get equipped, then I won't get called. If I just stay on the periphery, then I won't need to serve. But God has already called each of us who are believers to be strong, to mature, as we take on all of what God has offered us. Our choice as individuals, our choice as spouses, as parents, and our choice as a church is whether or not we're going to be ready. Here's a question, a couple of them. Will we be strong in his strength? Will we put on what he provides? Paul answers the question of why we should put on the armor of God. And first he says that you may be able. And this assumes that on our own, we're not able. Okay, that we must step into his provision to make any progress at all. But it also gives us purpose. And this is why we have been empowered that we may continue on a path to maturity instead of caving to the temptations that surround us. Second, he says to stand uh, against the schemes of the devil, literally to withstand the methodology and the strategy of the devil. And this pic- this, uh, the wording gives this uh, picture uh, of standing up against, uh, but the word's deeper meaning, it, it means to resist, not to wither, not to decay, but to be stable and unchanged in the face of our enemy. It's a defensive stance, and it refers both to individuals and to the church. It's kind of interesting to me how many struggle to have a strategy uh, for the church that can help us succeed when it's so obvious that the devil has a clear strategy for how to make us fail. Ephesians 6.12 moves on to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He reminds us here in 6.12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And this is true of us as a people, but it's true for us as a church. Paul wants us to know that our path to maturity and obedience is fraught with danger. This is why we need each other so desperately. Honestly, in today's church, we don't talk so much about spiritual warfare, and we talk even less about our specific enemy. The Bible presents Satan as a real adversary, one who wants uh, us to either fall into failure or to be molded into mediocrity as a believer. And there are few in the church that are willing to arrange their lives around the kingdom of God and to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Sometimes our problems are presented to us as these physical struggles, but many times these struggles are merely a reflection of something spiritual that is affecting us. When we get into petty arguments at church and we find ourselves not encouraging or supporting our leaders, we need to ask ourselves, 
Am I playing into a strategy of the devil? Is there a more spiritual path that I can take to achieve a more godly outcome? We have hurt feelings, judgmental attitudes, selfish demands, and these all might be explained by a lack of maturity, but they could also be the way that the devil has determined to stagnate the church or to keep us from being effective. Paul also reminds us that going into battle isn't actually a choice because the battle is coming towards us. Peter, writing just a couple of years after Paul wrote Ephesians, said it this way in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The devil who is finally identified as Satan by John in Revelation 12, 9, uh, 12, 9 uh, has been deceiving men and women for thousands of years. And he wants us to believe, one, that God hasn't provided all that we need. And he wants us to believe that we don't need to apply that which has been given. Paul describes the nature of the broader enemy uh, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I don't know what all of that means, and that's a much longer discussion, but we know that this isn't just about Satan, but it includes his band of workers and demons as well as those who knowingly and unknowingly collude with the disturbance of his people and the disruption of his church. And though believers have the tools to stand firm against the strategies of evil, we often get drawn into being used to frustrate the plans of God, murmuring, gossiping, instead of building others up when we refuse to step out in faith instead of trusting that God can use me. Though it's difficult from just this passage to get a fuller understanding, we know that we can take away a few things from other places in the Bible. We know that in terms of uh, the adversary and the, the, the spiritual world that he is warning us about is that it is real. It's referred to by Jesus and Paul and it's captured in multiple places of scripture. We know it's effective throughout the church age and in different countries and cultures around the world, the strategies uh, to frustrate the church are different. Is focused on blinding non-believers and influencing those in the church away from experiencing God. We know that it's organized, that there are levels and authority of influence that we can't completely understand. We know that it's evil and that we shouldn't wonder why things are going from worse to worse. It's praise on the weak, the young in age and the young in faith, and it entraps the mature disorienting some and disqualifying others. We know that one of the purposes of the church and even this church is to provide a place for respite for those who are tired, a place for renewal for those who have failed, and a place of reconciliation for those who need forgiveness, and a place to get ready for the battle that is before us. When we we don't have to be afraid of the spiritual battle that is raging around us, but we do have to be, we do have to be aware 
that it exists. And we have to see this church as part of God's strategy to help protect the faith and to promote the faith until he returns to deal with our spiritual world once and for all. Is that how we view ourselves as the church? Or have we fallen into yet another scheme of the devil that we're just a collection of really nice people with really similar beliefs that can come together and have nice conversations about Jesus? Because if that is true, then we're already losing the battle. My application for you, as I said at the beginning, is to read the book of Ephesians, to come away with four different understanding uh, points to understand. The first is to know who you are in Christ. The second is to know what God has provided for our growth. The third is to know more about the enemy that stands before us and against us. And then to know what God has given us to put on so that we may resist him. Can I encourage you to go back and read through the whole letter? Because if we don't understand who we are to what God is calling us to do, then the war the raging around it and the war raging around us, then we won't even see the necessity of stepping in to put on what God has provided. The Chinese church has a tradition of ending their service with a benediction. Can I read to you what I read to them last week as we discussed this same passage? It says this, Colossians 3, 12 to 15. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And the peace of Christ, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed called in one body, and to be thankful. Father, would you help us to better understand the war that rages around us? Would you help us to understand that when we're frustrated and we're feeling alone and we feel unable to step out into the, uh, the faith-filled filled world that you uh, want us to step into, that it's, it's our fault because we have failed to put on all that you provide. Help us, Jesus, to step in to all that you have given us to trust that your spirit lives within us to empower us, that your word stands beside us to guide us in truth, and that our church that you've provided gives us the encouragement to walk with Jesus together. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.